Well, all right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, if you did not get a handout, they are back there on the table. So grab you a handout uh, if you didn't get one. Uh, be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you, and Brother Wayne's got the handout, so if you need one, uh, he's my trusty sidekick. And uh, <laughs> so, so if you need one, just wave your hand and he'll, he'll bring you one. Got one up here on the front. And, uh, but go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. And uh, just to give you a couple of announcements, don't forget, um, we've got our boxcar races coming up in March, March 19th. Uh, we're going to have a lot of kids and a lot of families here that night. Uh, our men's ministry is going to be over in the gym um, on Sunday, March the, is it 4th or 5th? I can't remember. I mean Saturday. Mar- is it March 4th, I think? Look, look at the calendar and make sure. It's the first Saturday in March. Our men's ministry is going to be in the gym. Is it the 5th? Okay, 4th? 4th, okay. 4th to 5th. I think Sunday's the 5th, right? So Saturday. Saturday the 4th, the men's ministry will be in the gym to help, um, you know, make those cars, get those cars ready. Um, We're going to have a lot of kids from the school. They have been invited to come over. And so we're going to have a lot of kids from the school uh, to come over. And uh, we just want to celebrate with them, have a good time with them. Uh, We're going to have food serve that night. It's going to be a fun night and uh, just be praying for our children's ministry. Uh, also, children's ministry, we got the Easter extravaganza coming up in April and uh, we'll give you more information on that as we get closer. Um, but it's just going to be a good time, uh, you know, just celebrating with families all over the community and serving them as best we can. So uh, if you've got anything else uh, that you need, you can always call the church office and we'll get you all that information. You can go to our website, sbcla.com. Brother Andy's got all of that stuff on the calendar, uh, on the events. You can click on them. All the information's there. Um, also, our men's ministry, uh, men's retreat. Uh, pray for all of those. They're going to be serving. Uh, the men's retreat is this coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, so pray for them as they serve. Um, so thankful for our women's ministry and all the women uh, who served uh, at the, the women's retreat this past weekend. It's been such a good, um, good time. You know, they, they fellowship, they grew closer together, and we know that God is working uh, in their lives, and there's no telling, right? The seeds that were planted, there's no telling uh, what's going to take place in homes and churches. Uh, again, it's like I said this morning, um, the retreat is just a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool that God uses to do incredible things in the lives of His people. And so uh, we're excited about that. So uh, let's pray and then let's dig into God's Word. And like I said, any events, anything like that that you have questions on, just call the church office or go to our website, our Facebook page, uh, the Faith Life app, and uh, we'll get you all that information uh, as we can. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for what you're going to do. God, your hand is on us. You continue to bless us. And God, I believe and know that you're making us a blessing as well. God, thank you for giving us opportunities to reach out, to reach out to uh, the people in our community and love on them, encourage them, and plant gospel seeds in their minds and hearts. Uh, God, thank you for everything that you did this weekend uh, at the women's retreat. Uh, God, we we may never know the full extent of what you did in each and every heart and in each and every life, but we know 
that you worked. Uh, God, we trust you and we pray for uh, the men's retreat that's coming up. We know, God, that you're going to do incredible things there. Uh, God, be with those who are serving. Be with those who have signed up to attend. Uh, God, just make it a special time, a fellowship, a special time of worship, and a special time of growing in your word, uh, just a closer walk with you. Uh, God, whether it's the teamers or the first-time attendees, God, I pray that they would grow in their walk with you. Uh, As we open up your word tonight, God, speak to us. Open our minds and hearts so that we can receive what you have for us tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I want to just go back for a brief moment and tell you about 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, especially that phrase, jars of clay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's what Paul tells us. He tells us that we are jars of clay, jars of clay, and we contain a valuable treasure. Don't you love that? Uh, That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are jars of clay, and we contain a valuable treasure. Paul describes the jars of clay with these words. He says that we're pressed on every side. We're perplexed, we're persecuted, and we're struck down. But then he comes back and he says that these jars of clay, we are not crushed, we are not in despair, we are not abandoned, and we are not destroyed. And so even though the jars of clay are fragile, even though the jars of clay are weak, God fills those jars of clay, you and me. He enables us, He empowers us, He fills us with His Spirit so that we can be poured out, right? What God pours into us, we can pour it out into the lives of others. And you may say, well, Brother Jeff, what are we pouring out? We're pouring out God's love. We're pouring out God's grace, God's mercy into the lives of others. Um, So I love how Paul describes us as believers, as jars of clay. And remember, I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says. Dr. David Jeremiah says uh, that these jars of clay may be cracked, they may be fractured, but that just means more of God's light and more of God's love can can pierce through those cracks, right? Uh, he says it's a beautiful thing. And so that's the power of God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul goes into a, another way of describing who we are as Christ followers. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors. I love that word. We are Christ's ambassadors who have an incredible ministry. So not only are we jars of clay, jars of clay that contain a valuable treasure, and that is Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are Christ's ambassadors and that He has given us an incredible ministry. Now let me tell you why I love the word ambassadors, okay? So according to Merriam-Webster, the definition of an ambassador is a diplomatic agent. I love that. That's pretty cool, right? Did you know that you are an agent of God? Doesn't that sound so cool? Like when people ask me what I do, I'm not going to tell them I'm a pastor anymore. I'm going to tell them I'm an agent. I'm an agent of God. That just sounds so cool, right? We are diplomatic agents 
of highest rank. That's what an ambassador is. An agent of highest rank. An agent is also, I mean, an ambassador is also an authorized, I love that, an authorized representative or messenger. In other words, if you are Christ's ambassador, you have the authority of God to speak the message of God. Think about that for just a second, right? If Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you are his ambassador. That, that means you are his agent of highest rank. You have been authorized as his representative, as his messenger to preach the gospel, to speak the gospel into the lives of others. Uh, and that's what Paul wanted the believers to know. That's what he wanted the believers at Corinth to know. I believe that's what he wanted us to know. Um, he wanted them to know who they were. He wanted them to know whose they were. And he wanted them to know why they were. And I've been saying that for quite a few weeks now. That's what I want you to know. I want you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to know who you belong to, whose you are. You are God's, right? Isaiah 43, 1, right? Fear not. Do not be dismayed. I formed you. I created you. You are mine. You belong to God. And in Christ, you are his ambassador. This is so good. So what I did tonight, uh, I split it up into two sections. Uh, This is kind of a lengthy chapter. It's 21 verses. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first 10 verses, and then we'll come back and read the last 11 verses. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 uh, to start off. So Paul says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, We are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now I'm going to tell you, that's a lot. Paul just gave us a big old steak to devour, okay? So it's going to take us a little time to, to devour this steak. But I want you to hang in there with me. First of all, what does Paul do? First of all, Paul contrasts the differences between our earthly bodies and our resurrection bodies. So the first thing he did was he talked about these earthly tents, right? These earthly bodies. But he also talked about those resurrection bodies. So why would Paul use that phrase, tent? 
Does anybody know what he used to do? He was a tent maker. That's right. So he's, he's using an analogy that he knows very well. Paul was a tent maker. So he uses the tent as an illustration or an example for the body. And he says that our earthly bodies are susceptible to pain and to suffering and ultimately to decay. They are perishable, if you will, these earthly bodies. But our resurrection bodies are not. Now, what is he talking about, those resurrection bodies? Well, he's talking about our eternal bodies, our glorified bodies. There's a big difference between these earthly, physical bodies and our resurrection or, quote-unquote, glorified bodies that are eternal. Uh, As a matter of fact, that's what he makes sure the believers know. For believers, we know that the physical body is temporary. This physical body that we have right now, it's temporary, right? God created us from the dust, and guess where these bodies are going to go back to? The dust, right? But the glorified body, the resurrection body, it is eternal. There is nothing that can penetrate, nothing that can contaminate, nothing that can touch the eternal body, the glorified body. Uh, We know in Scripture, and I, I, I might have said that this morning, I can't remember if I said it here or if I said it at the men's prayer breakfast at First Baptist Ravel, but either way, I'm going to tell you again. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we, we know in Scripture that God created us with eternity in our hearts, right? So you and I were created for eternity. And I'm going to tell you, one way or the other, we're going to spend eternity Right? We're going to spend eternity either in heaven with our Savior or we're going to spend eternity in hell because we rejected the Savior. So God set eternity in our hearts. And again, that's not my word. That's His word. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. And so we're going to spend eternal life either in heaven or we're going to spend eternal death in a place called hell what the Bible teaches us. So Paul, he wanted the believers to understand the difference between these earthly tents, right, and those heavenly tents. These earthly tents are temporary. Oh, but those heavenly tents, they're eternal. Um, And and that's what Paul wanted to make sure they understood the difference uh, in their bodies. Uh, Paul also says that God has given us the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of what is to come. So not only is the Holy Spirit in us, right? Not only is the Holy Spirit able to uh, open up our minds so that we can understand, not only is the Holy Spirit able to lead us and guide us and direct us, the Holy Spirit is God's seal on us, right? The Holy Spirit is the seal of God on our lives. It's the guarantee that you and I, will live in eternity forever in heaven with God. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul, he, he says this in other letters, but that the Spirit of God indwells us, right? The Spirit of the living God uh, indwells us, seals us. He is guaranteeing that we belong to God and guaranteeing that we will spend forever and ever with God. So Paul takes another step forward, right? Another piece of this stake that he is feeding us, if you will. And he talks about faith. 
as believers, we live by faith, right? In these physical bodies, we live by faith, but we long, we long for glory. We long for the glorified bodies. Now, I don't know about you, right? But as I get older, my eyes get a little worse off. Every time I go to my, my cousins, my eye doctor cousins, I, I tell them, can you bump that prescription up? Right? Uh, I found out yesterday that there's another part of my body that hurts a little bit when I'm running. <laughs> so it's like I, I, I fix one part and then another part goes out, right? Um, this physical body, I'm getting tired of taking care of it. And so every day, I long just a little bit more for that glorified body, right? That I ain't got to worry about an aching hip or a pinched nerve in my back <laughs> or my eyes going bad. And, and so what we've got to understand, though, is that while we are in these physical bodies, while we are in these tents, if you will, we still have faith. And we live by that faith. And there's nothing wrong with longing. As a matter of fact, we should long for eternity. We should long for these glorified bodies that are described for us in the Bible as imperishable, right? Uncontaminated. Um, So this was an exhortation, if you will, by Paul. Not just an encouragement, but an exhortation to be who God created us to be right here, right now, with eternity in view, right? With eternity in view. I love Dr. Tony Evans. And Dr. Tony Evans, uh, he asked a question in his commentary, and it's a good question. I put this on your handout. Dr. Tony Evans says this. He asked this question. Are we living our temporal days on earth in light of our eternal destiny in heaven? That's a good question, right? In other words, when you woke up this morning, right? When you woke up this morning, you had to make decisions. Uh, and, And even... All day long, before you got here, you made decisions. When you make decisions, do you make decisions just randomly or do you make decisions with eternal destiny in mind? When you talk to people, do you talk to people and is it just a conversation of the flesh or is it a conversation of the flesh with eternal destiny in view? I'm going to tell you, that, that, that hit me hard, right? That hit me hard. Do I have eternity in view when I'm making decisions in this life? Do I have eternity in view when I'm having conversations in this life? That's a tough question. And I believe that's why Paul said what he did in verses 9 and 10. I'm going to tell you, verses 9 and 10 are powerful, powerful statements. Did you know that the New Testament, the New Testament Greek word for judgment seat is the word bima? Anybody in here ever heard of the Bema seat? Okay. That is the New Testament Greek word for judgment seat. It's the word Bema. All right. So Paul says that all believers, look at it again in verses 9 and 10. All believers. If you're a believer tonight, guess where you're going to be one day? You're going to be at the Bema seat before Christ. He says all believers will appear before Christ to give an answer for all things done in the body. So you and me, 
If you are in Christ, like I am in Christ, and Christ is in you, like Christ is in me, one day we're going to stand before the Bema seat. And we will give an account for every word we've ever spoken and every act we've ever taken. Now, you're probably sitting there going, oh boy. So the way I talked to him, what I said to her. So when I did this when I was 15, or when I did this yesterday, you're already in your mind going, I'm going to have to, look, God already knows it. God already knows it, right? And so we're going to have to appear before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have to give an account of all those things. Now understand, our salvation is sealed, okay? We, are, we stand before Him justified, not in and of ourselves. We stand before Him justified in what He did for us. But we still will give an account most theologians agree uh, about the context of this passage. This is not about salvation. This is not the place where we will be separated, right? Those who are saved and those who are not. Uh, this is about the things done in the physical body by those who are saved. There is, and if you want to write this down, I didn't put this in your handout, but there is another judgment, and it's called the great white throne judgment. There is another judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment and that is in Revelation. Verses 20, 21. You'll see it. And so many biblical scholars and I actually agree and believe this as well. That is where the unbelievers will be judged because the Bible says at that place, at the great white throne of judgment, anyone whose name is not in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. So the Bema seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment are two different judgments, two different places. Okay? So, so I, I, I took some time here to make sure you, you understand that that's two different scenes, if you will. Okay? So don't get the great white throne judgment that's found in Revelation confused with what Paul is talking about here when he talks about the judgment seat of Christ, which is the Bema seat. Um, I love it, and I'm going to say it the way he says it. Dr. David Jeremiah, the way he explains the Bema seat, here it is. He says, this is not to judge the believer. The believer already stands judged and justified as a result of Christ. This is a judgment of the deed, not the doer. So think about that for a minute. The Bema seat, it's the judgment of the deed, not the doer. That's really good. That's Dr. David Jeremiah. Uh, Another pastor that I love, um, that I listen to, that I read, uh, Pastor Richard Pratt, he says this. He says, from Paul's perspective, no one earns or maintains salvation by works. However, every person will be judged by their works. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will demonstrate their justification by living to please Him. So with the Bema seat, or the judgment seat of Christ in mind, Paul goes on to say and remind believers more about who they are 
whose they are, and why they are. So are you ready? We're going to jump into the second half of his encouraging word, his exhortation. So now that we know, right, he says, hey, we live in these earthly bodies. These are temporary bodies. But while we're in these temporary bodies, we're going to live by faith. We're going to have eternity in view. Uh, We're going to long for those glorified bodies, those incorruptible bodies. But we're also going to be judged, right? We're going to be judged. We're going to appear before Christ. And all those things, right, the deeds, they will be brought out. But if we're in Christ, we're justified. And so with that in mind, watch what he says. Because he uses this word since, right? So he's talking to believers. Verse 11, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope that it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than, is, than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, I love this. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. I love that. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What Paul says there is, I'm not going to look at anybody anymore from a worldly point of view. Paul says, I'm going to look at them through the lens of eternity, right? I'm not going to look at them with a fleshly mindset. I'm going to look at them with a heavenly mindset. So he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. Therefore, and I know you know this passage, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And here it is, oh, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Woo! That's some good stuff, isn't it? 
I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that I'm a Christ follower. I'm so thankful that God saved me through Jesus Christ. And I am fired up to know that I am his agent, right? And I have a high rank. I am fired up to know, right, that I am his authorized, his authorized representative. He has given me the authority to speak his word to the world in which I live. Man, I'm pumped up about that. That's pretty good stuff. And and so let's talk about this. Let's talk about Paul's motivation. Paul was motivated by his fear of the Lord. This is what I call a healthy fear, right? He was motivated by his fear of the Lord to do two things, to proclaim the gospel and to persuade others with the gospel. So think about that. He proclaimed the gospel, but he also persuaded others with the gospel. Uh, Again, I'm going to go back to uh, one of those pastors that I mentioned a while ago, Richard Pratt. Listen to what he said. He says, no matter what Paul's opponents in Corinth, Corinth had said about him, Paul was convinced that it was plain to God who he was. God knew his heart and God gave him motivation. He hoped his ministry and his intentions were plain to the Corinthians as well. And it was the fear of the Lord that Paul had that was one of all, right? It was the fear of the Lord that caused him, that motivated him to proclaim the gospel to others, to persuade others. That fear was a healthy fear. What do I mean by that? He was in awe of Jesus Christ. He had the utmost respect for Jesus Christ. So this was not a frightful fear. This was a fear of awe and respect. It was a fear of uh, of humility. He humbled himself, right, before God. And so this is what I call a healthy fear. Listen, if you don't fear the Lord, you got a problem. You got a problem. If you don't have the fear of the Lord in you, you got a problem because it's the fear of the Lord that leads us, right, that leads us to want to please Him, that leads us to want to love God and love others. That's a healthy fear, a good fear. Uh, He used another word here that might have surprised you, right? He used the word pride. Did you see that word? So the Greek word in this passage for pride is the word kochima. And I'm, I'm probably butchering that word. I tried to listen to it and three different people said it three different ways. So I just blended it. It's the word kochima. But I'll tell you this, in this context, that word pride, it means rejoice. That's unusual for us, right? That's not normally what we associate the word pride with, okay? But that's what the word means in this context. So in other words, when Paul says, I hope you'll take pride in me, he's not saying, hey, uh, puff me up. He's not saying, look at me and lift me up. He's saying, no, rejoice, right? Rejoice with me and rejoice that God has given me this message and giving me this motivation. So Paul wasn't promoting himself as an arrogant man. He wanted his brothers and sisters to rejoice in the ministry that he was called to and that he was being faithful with. And you know what? He wanted to have that same pride for them. He wanted to rejoice in them and with them when they were being who God created them to be and doing what God created them to do. 
And so that's what this word pride means in this passage. It means rejoicing. It means delight. Take delight in the fact that God is using us. Right? Rejoice in the fact that God is using us to be His agents, to be His ambassadors. Paul says it was the love of Christ, right, that compelled him to preach the gospel. Why? So that all people, did you notice that? He said all people. So that all people would have the opportunity to receive the message, but also to believe the message. And that message is what brings forgiveness and reconciliation. It's forgiveness from God and reconciliation to God. Paul says Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again so that we might be right with Him, so that we could be filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so it's humble repentance of sin, and it's complete faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah that makes us right with God. He forgives us, and then He reconciles us. So in this passage, uh, I want to talk to you about a couple of more things. First of all, since Christ lived, and since Christ died, and since Christ was rose again, because of the finished work of Jesus, understand, not because of anything you did, not because of anything I did, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, when we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, the old is made new. Don't you love that? So if somebody asks you how old you are, tell them, hey, the old has been made new, baby. (laughs) The old has been made new. I can give you my earthly tent, right, my temporal years, but this, this, this man has been made new, right? So... In Christ, and, and this is why it's so important because we have been talking, we, we talked about 1 Corinthians, we talked from Galatians, Brother Jeremy, Brother Andy from Galatians, and now we're doing it again. Paul wants to make sure that we understand. It is not our works that change us. God changes us. And because He changes us, we see differently. And we seek differently. And we speak differently. And we act differently. Right? Our works don't change us. God changes us. And because of that, (laughs) our works look different when we're new than when we're old. Because I'm going to tell you, the works of the old Jeff was all about Jeff. Just ask my mama. (laughs) Or ask somebody in here that was a teacher of mine. I don't think anybody in here, well, Miss Faye. But she taught me in first grade, so that don't count because I didn't know anything. But I'm just telling you, the old Jeff was all about Jeff. Look at me. Think of me. Lift me up. I'm going to tell you something. When you're sharing your testimony, if it's more about you than it is about God, how is that testimony going to change the heart of someone else? It's not. When you're sharing your testimony to other people, and it's me, 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 and a little bit of God, 
maybe a little bit of Jesus. We need to, we, we need to work on your testimony. It, it's kind of like Ruth this morning, right? When Naomi said, tell me how it went, baby. Right? Did Ruth say, well, I did this, I did that, and I did this? No. You know what Ruth did? Look what he did for me. Look what he gave me. And that's all Ruth said. She, she didn't say nothing about her makeup, her perfume, her dress, her walk. No, it, she didn't say anything about her. Her testimony was all about look at him. Look what he did for me. Look what he gave. Now, I'm not trying to tell you your testimony I'm just trying to tell you, when you tell your testimony to others, God, God ought to be glorified. Not you. Not me. Not even other people. Right? It's okay to say there was a godly woman or a godly man who said this to me, but man, get back to God. Get back to God. Glorify God. Right? Lift God up. Because I'm going to tell you, God's the one that changes hearts, not Jeff. God's the one, right? God's the one. His spirit is the one who stirs, right? I heard, Brother Andy knows because we went to see this guy. There's a guy named Tim Hawkins. He's a Christian comedian. And he started talking about them testimonies. You remember this, Brother Andy? He started talking about them testimonies. And he said, you know, when I was in a youth group, this girl got up and she, she talked about how she was addicted to crack and all this stuff. And man, everybody cried and it was powerful. And then I got up and all I could say was, man, I wish I was addicted to crack. <laughs> you know what he was doing? I mean, he was joking, okay? At least that's what we thought because we were all laughing. No, seriously, he was joking. But, but what he was doing was what he was really making fun of is how if we're not careful, we compare our testimonies to somebody else's and we think we got to spice it up a little bit. We, we think we got to add a little bit, right, to make it more powerful. No, listen to me. All you got to do is speak the name of Jesus and it's powerful. That's it. You, you ain't got to be hooked on drugs to have a powerful testimony. You, you ain't got to be brought out of this filthy, ugly place to, to have a powerful testimony. All you got to do is say, you know what? I was lost, and then I was found. Don't compare your testimony to somebody else's. Comparison, it's of the devil. That's what it is. So Paul says, because of the finished work of Jesus, nothing else and no one else His old (laughs) was changed. It was made new. He was reconciled. So let me tell you about that word reconcile. That word reconcile, especially in this passage, the Hebrew word that he used, it means to exchange. It also means to remove enmity between two parties. Okay? Now let me just tell you what the country boy word for enmity is hatred okay so so the the definition of enmity enmity is hatred do you know what God hates he hates sin he hates sin so think about this for just a second what does Romans 3.23 said for all have what sinned Mm. 
For all have sinned, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. So when we sinned, right, it separated us from God. You want to know why? Because God hates sin. And God is perfect. He cannot be in sin. And so there was a chasm there, right? There was a great divide there, a separation. So think about this. Reconcile means to exchange. It means to remove enmity, to remove hatred between two parties. So our sin separates, from, separates us from God. It brought enmity, if you will, between us and God. And that wasn't, God, that wasn't God's fault. That was my fault. That, that was our fault. And you want to know something even worse? Ain't nothing I can do about it. The first sin I ever committed, right? Done. <laughs> Separation. As far as I could be separated from God, I was separated from God because of my sin. And there ain't nothing I can do about it. Nothing. But God can. And God did. His name is Jesus. Amen? Yeah, God did something. That's why Paul says, this is from God. Do you see those words? He says, this is from God. In other words, before you get full of yourself and before you start talking to people about yourself, just remember this. You are nothing without God. You're nothing without God. You're separated from Him unless He does something, and He did. The Bible says, and we can see this as believers, God gave us, right? God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't this so cool? Right? God saves us from our sin through the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But He don't stop. Right? Not only does He save us, God gave us the, min- the ministry of reconciliation. So you see, as His ambassadors, God is making His appeal through us. Think about that for just a second. He's making His appeal of reconciliation through you and me to other people. How cool is that? God is using you to reach out to someone else who needs the love of Jesus Christ. God, I mean, just think about that for a minute. Does that not humble you? It does me. I take seriously every moment I get to stand up in front of anybody and preach the gospel. I take it serious. I know I preached as hard at that prayer breakfast this morning, didn't I, brother? As I did tonight. I mean, any opportunity. Celebrate recovery. I preach the same gospel with the same passion. I'm humbled that God not only saved me, but gave me the ministry of reconciliation. So, So we're not only to tell others about the love of God, We are to show others the love of God because it's the love of God that forgives us of our sins and it's the love of God that reconciles us to Himself. He exchanged, right, hatred with love. He he removed the hatred, the enmity that was between us by the blood of His Son. Mm. It's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ in me. And so I love, man, 
If, if 2 Corinthians ended in chapter 5, whew, I'd be fine with that. This is a powerful place to end it. Now, we've got a lot more to go. There's a few more chapters to cover. But I, I, I've got a question for you. And that question is the question I've been asking you, I guess, since January. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? And do you know why you are? Do you know who you are? Like, do you know that you were created by God for God? Do do you know that you belong to Him? That's who you are, and that's whose you are. Do you know why you are? It's not just to eat a good meal, say, hey, how you doing? Bye, see you next Wednesday, see you next Sunday. You weren't created simply to just walk around and wave at people and smile. You know what you were created to do? You were created to declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what you were created for. That's not my words. That's God's words. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You were created to glorify God. And there's way too many scriptures for me to quote. But you were created to give God glory in your life. All day long, every day, everywhere you go. That's your why. That's my why. And the Bible tells us very clearly right here that if we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, then we are His ambassadors. His ambassadors. Now, somebody tell me. What does ambassador mean? We are His what? His agent of of what kind of rank? Highest rank. Which means you matter. And I matter, right? Not only that, we are His what? What kind of representative are we? Authorized. The, 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 the base word of authorized is authority. That's where the authorized comes from. It comes from authority, which means God has given you the authority, right? Given you the authority to share His love with others, to tell others. He, the ministry and the message of reconciliation is yours. You are a vessel. Of reconciliation. That's why I say when you share your testimony with somebody, it's got to get to Jesus and it's got to get to, I was lost and destined for hell, but Jesus, He saved me. I repented of my sin. I put my faith and trust in Him and my eternity is secure because of what He did. His life, His death, his resurrection. And that is why I'm telling you what God has done for me so that you can know the God that I know and so that you can surrender to Jesus like I surrendered to Jesus. Now sure, you can, you can throw in those other details about how you got where you were and what you were doing. But man, get to Jesus. And, and, and not, don't just get to Jesus, but stay on Jesus. <laughs> Stay on Jesus. Keep talking about Jesus. Look what He did for me. Look what He gave me. Do that. And that's where the power will be. The power will be in Jesus. The power will be in what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. And I say will do because you know what? One day, 
One day this flesh is going to decay. <laughs> One day this tent is going to fall apart completely. And it's steadily doing that, by the way. But one day, yeah, amen. I got too many amens out there. Um, but one day the tent's going to just fall apart and it's going to be done. But Jesus, amen. Because here's the thing. Until he returns again, if I die before he returns, I'm going to be with him in spirit. But one day I'm going to have a resurrection body. Uh-huh. I'm going to have a glorified body. And I will have that resurrection body, that glorified body, forever and ever and ever and ever. No more sin, no more pain, no more death, no more destruction. See, what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, I live by faith, but I long for what Christ will do. Because one day He's coming back. And when He comes back, Oh, the great resurrection is going to happen. And those who have gone on before us will be resurrected first and then the rest of us will be caught up with him.